The following sermon is brought to you by thepreachersvault.com, bringing old-time preaching to a new generation. You can hear me okay. I'm going to stick down here. I've been going up there for the last few weeks uh, just to get behind the microphone. I prefer to be down on the floor personally. That's just a personal preference. And then it dawned on me on the way over here, wait a minute, Jim, you teach Bible class from the floor, so surely you can speak up well enough to make do for what we have. So I appreciate that. And let me say before I go any farther, I would be amiss if I didn't pause for a moment to commend you all. Um, You all obviously are small in number, but I can tell by looking at you from the past few years, experience I've had, you're definitely strong in faith. And you definitely have a will to be here and you're all consistent in that and that's to be commended and for the work that you do and the examples that you set I know in your community uh, that's great and so I appreciate your endurance Um, we mentioned endurance several times probably for the majority of our class hour last period we were talking about that and you certainly endured a lot here uh, particularly this last year and a half with the virus you know any congregation I can tell you every congregation not just any every congregation has taken a hit uh, not only there have been some that have actually, you know, passed from this life, obviously onto their reward, but uh, there are just those who just cannot bring themselves to be in assembly right now, uh, no matter what that what that cause is. And you all endured that. I know there was a long period of time where you couldn't meet, and you back together. And I appreciate that, and you're to be commended. And I want to thank you for allowing me to be here from time to time. It's an encouragement to me to see you all. And encouragement to be able to stand and preach and teach and whatever else. And I hope I've been, uh, have, have been some type of assistance in that. Go ahead and take your Bibles and open with me the book of Colossians. When you get there, go to Colossians chapter 1. That's where we're going to spend the majority of our time today. We will uh, turn maybe a time or two. Uh, you probably heard me say before, I don't generally flip or flop. And that's for good intention. I like to preach just what's in the text off the page and let it come out. Uh, in, in some specific text, but in addition to that, it also helps maybe not you as much as a true Bible student, but if someone were not experienced in reading their Bibles, uh, they don't have to worry about panicking to get to a verse here or there and try to see where I am. I know I've been in those assemblies before. I sat years ago, and it's the first time it dawned on me. I sat beside a lady who had probably attended a church service a half dozen times in her life, and the preacher probably quoted and or asked us to turn to 35 or 40 passages and she got about 10 in and she took and laid her Bible down beside her. You could see the frustration. And uh, I, don't, I don't know what she was thinking. I didn't ask, but I could see the frustration. It dawned on me, you know what? We can do a little better. Either giving people more time or not just, just not calling them to turn to 100 passages a, 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 a sermon. That's not a bad thing. It's just sometimes can be difficult. So we won't do that. Uh, I think you've already turned there. Most of you, if you want to look down, Colossians chapter 1 and verses 12 through 20 is where we're going to focus our attention today, mainly verses 14 to 20. But while you're kind of scanning the text, and most of you are, I can look and see, let me ask you a question. Actually, I'll ask you a series of questions, but the very first one I want you to answer out loud, as loud as you want with your mouth, and uh, you'll understand why in a minute. It's very simple. Do you love Jesus? Yes, yes, we do. 
And I knew by that. There were either two options, yes or no, and probably the only people that would answer no are not in these doors right now. <laughs> They're on the outside. I hope that they claim that they do. Uh, but all of us are here today because we love Jesus. Now, second question, don't answer with your mouth, but answer with your mind. So, you know, keep your silence. Not that we won't agree, but I know the answer will vary somewhat. And that is on top of the fact of you answering, yes, I love Jesus. Second question, how much do you love Jesus? How much do you love Jesus? Okay, I gave you a moment to think. I think most of you said, well, I love him a lot. I love him an awful lot because Jesus is my Savior. Jesus is my King. Jesus is, you know, he's, as we sing in some of these song books, there's a song, Jesus is all the world to me. And of course, you go through a whole list of things in that song that tell that. And scripturally, you can find that as well. So answering the question, how much do I love Jesus? You'd probably love him an awful lot is the way we might put that. There are two different times in text, I say two. There are two examples I'm going to give you. You can just jot these down. You don't have to turn to them necessarily. But two different times in text where we learn exactly uh, something concerning the love that Christ or and or God both have for us. For example, the most common scripture that comes to mind is John 3, 16. For God, what's the next word? So loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And that, that idea there, and I think it's a really good translation. It's very expressive when we think about it. God so loved us. And so we might ought to reciprocate back to God. You know, God, I so love you. Or Jesus, I so love you. That's how much. Another reference you can find is found in the book of John as well, but it's not in chapter 1. It's over in chapter 13, so over to your right. John chapter 13 and verse 1, Jesus is there in the context preparing to come into his disciples. They're in the upper room. The latter part of John 13 records for us how Jesus came in. He gets down as a servant and washes their feet. So he's expressing to them what servitude looks like, and he's also expressing to them his love. But in John 13 and verse 1, he's speaking of his disciples, said to them, I love you up until the uttermost. Now the idea of the uttermost is I love you to infinity. I love you to no end. I love you with all possibility. I love you with every opportunity. That's how he loved us. So you answer the question, do I love Jesus? Affirmative is yes. You answer the question, how much? It ought to be at least equal to the way he loves us, which is to the other most. Last question. Again, not to answer out loud, but we are mine. Why? Why do you love Jesus? Now, I think a majority of us, answers would be similar to what we said earlier. Well, I love Jesus because he's my Savior. I love Jesus because he gives me an opportunity at heaven. I love Jesus because of all that he's done for me and the way that he cares and, and all the list might go. But why do you love Jesus? My wife was in the laundry room the other day. Now, our laundry room, it, there's a step down. Kind of it's an older house, so you're probably familiar with something like this. There's a little step down from the kitchen down into the laundry room. It was an addition at some point. There's a step down in there, and I saw her in the laundry room, so I just eased in. I came down the steps real carefully. I came up behind her. She wasn't looking. I grabbed her and spun her around and kissed her right on the mouth. And I said to her, I love you. And she responded exactly as you would expect. She said, what do you want? I said nothing. I just love you. 
And then she asks this, why? That is just a picture. That's a real life happening in my life. But that in some senses is probably a picture of the way God reacts toward us. Or at least could. I love you, God. What do you want? <laughs> what do you, compared to yesterday, what do you want? Why do you love me? Well, I want to share with you from this text, and I'm not sharing this from my heart, my mind, what I think, although I think I've allowed Scripture to teach me how to think to an extent. You have too as Bible students. But I want to show you today from the text that we're mentioning here, Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 12 through verse 20, although I admit we may not get down to 20. But I want to show you at least three reasons why I love Jesus. Because there are three reasons why the Apostle Paul loved Jesus. And there are three reasons why God inspired Paul to say he would love Jesus. So let's pick up the reading there in verse 12. And we'll go through each of these three ways. They'll be very practical, hopefully simple. Verse 12. Here the scripture reads, Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers in the inheritance of the saints of light. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. And so the subject matter, we should have read back farther up the page, but at least to jump in the context right here. The subject matter is that we have inherited something from God and that we do that because we are placed into the kingdom of his dear son. Now look at verse 14, what happens when that occurs. In whom, that is in Jesus, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Verse 15, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, the visible, the invisible, whether they be thrones, or dominions, or principalities, or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him. Verse 17. And He, that is Jesus again, is before all things. And by Him, that is Jesus, all things consist. Verse 18. He, that's Jesus, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He, that's Jesus, might have the preeminence. Verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in Him, Jesus, all fullness should dwell. And having been made peace through the blood of His, that's Jesus, cross, by Him, that's Jesus, to reconcile all things unto Himself, Jesus, by Him, Jesus, I say whether they be in earth or in things in heaven. And you, verse 21, we'll read it just to close the text, and you were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he, that's Jesus, reconciled. Now, I emphasize all those pronouns, I think they're called, he and him and such, and I emphasize that by placing one name in there. What? Jesus. And so I read text in the Bible sometimes, and this is just one example of that, where if you'll read it and be careful about what you're reading and change some of those words or, or at least expound some of those words from he and him and say, well, who is the he, who is the him, who is the what or whatever, it's apparent. The point of this text in Colossians 1, 12 through, we read through 21, the whole point is Jesus. So everything we consider, everything we think about, everything we read, everything we learn, everything we focus on, everything we examine 
points back to but one place, and it's to Jesus. That's the context. Now, there are three things in here that we will try to get to at least in a timely manner. Three things that show me why I should love Jesus. Number one, here's the statement. I love Jesus because He makes the invisible visible. You say, now where do you get that? Read verse 15 again. Verse 15 says, speaking of Jesus, who is the image of the, next word, invisible God and the firstborn of every creature. You realize that I'm sure, again, as Bible students, and I definitely realize this the farther I go into things, I begin to realize if you take Jesus out of this, I would not know God at all. If you remove Jesus from our equation, there is an impossibility, a complete impossibility, and a very real possibility that I would not know God whatsoever. I would have no idea. I would have no clue what God is really like. You say, wait a minute. The Old Testament, God recorded all of that. And you see the works of God there. You see the power of God expressed. You see the people of God there being shown. Yes, yes, absolutely. But to actually see God is made impossible, save with Jesus. Because this verse says it. He said, who is the image of the invisible God? Now, we don't flip or flop much, but I do want you to flip with me twice, maybe. We'll go at least once. Go back with me. Hold a finger here in Colossians 1. Go back with me to the book of John. So going back over to my left, go to John chapter 1. Again, I think for you as Bible students, these things are very predictable. But go back to John chapter 1. We're going to begin a reading there in verse number 1. Now, we're thinking about the invisible God. We're thinking about that which is invisible becoming visible because of Christ. Here it is. Verse 1, chapter 1, John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same in the beginning was with God. And all things were made by Him, whomever the Word is, and without Him, whomever the Word is, was not anything made that was made. And in Him, whomever the Word is, was life. And the life was the light of men. And light, verse 5, shineth in darkness, and darkness comprehendeth it not. Now, this first section here, what's the most common word you hear? Word. W-O-R-D, word. Now, the word, W-O-R-D, word, is not referred to as a vehicle of communication, which is what we see on these pages. The word, W-O-R-D, word here, is referred to as a him and a he. Much similar to the Colossian letter that we just read, that portion of it at least, where those he's and those hymns all pointed to Jesus. But now we can't draw that conclusion from here yet. We do know, however, that this word in the beginning, I'll read the first few phrases of verse 1, was God. It was with God. We know that that's something that's happening. Now drop down the page a little bit, verse 14. And the word, W-O-R-D, was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So that's the answer. You, you already understood that, I'm sure, but that's the answer. The word of verses 1, 2, 3, really through 5, 
the word right there that's being referred to is not a vehicle of communication, but it is a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. And the reason why Jesus Christ came as the word that he did is verse 14 and 15, or verse yeah, 14, is telling us that he came so that we could see what God looks like. We beheld, that is, took view of, His, God's glory. That's what the Word does. Now, why does that matter? Drop down, you're in John chapter 1 again. Look at verse 18. Why did we need Him to do that? No man, that's not any, no man had seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in His bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. Now, a couple words I want to back up to. One's here, one's back up above it. I want you to notice the word right here. He hath, in 14, in 14, and we beheld His glory. The word glory right there literally means we beheld His shining. We beheld His light is what's said back over in chapter 1, verse 5 of John. We behold the light, the shining, the glory of God because of Jesus. Why is that needful? Verse 18, because He is the invisible God. God cannot be seen save we see Him through Jesus. Why is that important? Because He tells us that we see God, verse 18, we see God and in seeing God through Jesus, He declared Him. In the last hour, I picked on these papers. Any of these papers old enough, if I folded them all up, you'd care? Nobody answered. It's as good as folded. If I fold this paper up, like I'm about to do, and I ask you, what's on this paper? Now, some of you already know. You cheated. You've seen it. What's on the paper? You say, I don't know. And I say, well, wait a minute. Let me, let me help you a little bit. What's on the paper? I don't know. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. What's on the paper? I'm not sure. Well, hold up a minute. What's on the paper? You say, well, I see half of it. And what's on the paper? Now, it doesn't work as well as I'm like because it's not a picture of anybody. But the more you see, the more you understand. The more you see, the more you get. And we see God throughout the entirety of the Old Testament, and we beheld Him, but He hath not been declared, literally the word means unfolded, until Jesus came. Jesus is the unfolding of God. Now go back to our text, and I'll show you exactly how this relates. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 is what we're reading here. In making the statement that I love Jesus because He Himself is making the invisible become visible. Look at it. Verse 15, And who, that's speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. The word image right here comes from a Greek word where we got our English word icon. Icon. Now, back years and years ago, Years ago, I got an opportunity to get my first computer. Probably the, the death and the end of me, really, honestly, for any of us. But we got old to them. Some of us got old to it. And on those computer screens, the way they eventually became designed is on the screens, there were little bitty images. Oftentimes, they were little squares. 
and you could click or punch or tap or click here on a mouse key or whatever on that image with a pointer and what happened? It opened something up. That was the icon. That was the image. And when you tap into the image, you see what's behind it. That's the exact word used here. So what the scriptures say then is Jesus is the icon. He's what I can see. He's the outside of it. He's the picture of it. Of what? The invisible God. So there's one thing here that we understand about this. I love Jesus because He makes the invisible become visible. And the first way He does that is because He pictures the Father. Easy. Now drop down the page. That's verse 15. Drop down the page a little bit. Begin reading, and we'll come back to this later, Lord willing. Begin reading with me now in verse 18. Speaking of Jesus as well. It says, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is from the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have, that next word, preeminence. What in the world is preeminence? Not a word I use every day. The word preeminence means he has the full character of, and on top of that, the main authority for. That is, Jesus is equal in power to God. You're saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus prayed to God. Well, I don't know. He did. Absolutely he did. But in one sense, whether you're talking about God the Father, I would say Jesus Christ the Word, which is how John literally referred to him as. We say the Son, but He was the Word of God. Or you're referring to the Spirit itself, each of those three distinct personalities of the Godhead, they make up the whole, each of those personalities have power. Each of them have preeminence. You say, well, in the way we picture it at least, God's on the throne. Yes, for sure. Scripture backs that up. We see Christ there by His right hand. Absolutely for sure. But here it states clearly to us that He, that is Jesus, is the head of the body, which is the church, which is from the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. He's the firstborn first to be resurrected from the dead by his own power. And that he has all things he would have preeminence. Why is that? Verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in him all fullness should dwell. Meaning God put in the body of Jesus his wholeness. And you say, well, how do I understand that? Here's the answer I have. You don't. <laughs> we really don't comprehend it. We really don't completely understand it, but we know it to be fact because it's what God has revealed. So the first reason I love Jesus is because He makes the invisible visible both in picture and in preeminence. Number two, number next. The second reason I love Jesus, and it's right here off these pages, is because of the fact that He makes the uncertain Certain. You know, we definitely in the last year and a half or so, almost two years, I guess, rolling around now, we definitely have found our way to understanding uncertainty. Nothing seems sure. 
You wake up every day, and I don't watch the national news, so you may have more experience than I do. I do not watch it. I have not watched it in 10 years. It's not a new thing. Just don't care, not interested. If it falls on Mumford, I'll figure it out when I walk out the door. Uh, Maybe ignorance, but it's, it's, it's blessed, uh, ble- what's the word? B- ignorance and bliss. But, but I do know this. Nothing's consistent. Everything about our lives is constantly evolving and changing for us, whether you see that in the betterment or the detriment of it. And every day we wake up, and this is being spoken of over here an hour ago, and you mentioned it too, you just use the examples of school. Well, they can't go to school today, but they can go to the basketball game tonight. You know, that, that, that's, it's inconsistent is my point. I'm not complaining about any of that. But God is. Just like in the last hour we talked about his promises, being sure, he's consistent. Let's show you how the text, let's see how the text does that. He makes the uncertain that which is certain. Look at this. He first does it with his past. Look at verse 16. For by him were all things created that were in heaven and that were in earth, that are visible, that are invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, for all things were created by him and for him. So how is it that Jesus brings consistency, or in this case I'm using the word certainty, to our past? Because he made the past. All of it. Somebody says, well, wait a minute. I remember reading over in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Is that true or not? The answer is yes. It is true. But it's true in the sense of the work that God the Father, God the Son, Word did, and God the Spirit. As a matter of fact, you read Genesis 1, you don't have to get through the first three verses. Now the whole two chapters show it. But the first three verses tell us that God the Father spoke it into existence. God the Son handmade it and formed it into existence. And God the Spirit did His work in the part of that as well. They all did something. All three personalities of the Godhead took place. But these scriptures, and there are others like it in the New Testament, specifically says, to read the phrase again here, verse 16, For by Him, that's Jesus, all things were created. The word there, all things were formed. Now, what does all mean? I've heard it said before, I may or may not have used this phrase before, but I've been using it for a good 20-something years. You can't, it's a deep theological statement. You can't get any aller than all. You cannot get any aller than all. If the scriptures say that all things were created by Jesus, the conclusion is they were. And that's our past. So I can be confident. I can be sure. I can be certain of things that typically would be uncertain. I can know that Jesus and the Godhead together created those things. Why does that matter? There's a lot of people outside these four walls who have their doubts. A lot of people outside this room who come up with whole different ideas, theories. They even call them theories. Let's say, well, I don't believe that's the way it all started. You know, it was evolved, and it was this, and it poured out of this slime, and this primordial ooze, they call it. 
I don't have to believe that. I don't have to believe that. You don't need it because we know better. We're certain. And, and all the whole world maybe could be uncertain and say, I don't know where we came from. I don't know where this started. I do. God said he did it. Somebody says, well, do you believe in evolution? Not for a skinny minute. What about this theistic evolution? You know, that says that God started it all and it just kept, no. No. Because the scriptures teach me that God created all things. My past is certain. Number two, this scriptures, these scriptures here, <clears throat> about to play out, y'all. Y'all glad, y'all glad too. These scriptures here teach us that our present is, is sure. <coughs> Completely sure. Look at it. Verse 16 as well. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> that are visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. Watch this phrase here. <coughs> For all things were created by him. Look at the next phrase. And for him. That is that Jesus here controls our past, but in a sense he also controls our present. How does that bleed out? Look at verse 17. <coughs> For he, that is Jesus, is before all things, and by him do all things, last word, verse 17, consist. Now, the previous verse flies in the face of evolution. This verse flies in the face, and I don't know what you call it, of those who say, well, look at you. You're ruining this world. You threw that plastic bottle out the door. You didn't turn off that light switch. And your car runs on gas. And there's also one to say your cows in the field do some stuff, too. So you are causing the world to come to an end. No, ma'am. No, sir. Because it's by Jesus that all things consist. That is, they keep consisting. And this world will not close as it is, as it stands, until Jesus makes the determination that it will no longer stand. Now, I'll keep my plastic bottle in the house and drop it in the trash can because I don't like my yard being a mess. I'll turn off the light switch because I don't like my power bill being high. I'll slow down in my car because I don't want to have to buy that gas that's $3 and something a gallon. But I will stand and trust God to keep this earth in its orbit as long as He determines that He desires to do that. And I love Jesus because of it. It's by Him. It's for Him. And in Him do all things consist. Now, we have to skip. Skip big. Very quickly. For time's sake, we'll move on to the last. He controls my present, uh, my past, my present. And He also controls my potential. Look at it. Verse number... Uh, 17, we just read across it. 
For by him do all things consist, and he, that is Jesus, is the head of the body, the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, and that all things might have preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. Verse 20, And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. See that word reconcile? It's an accounting term, actually. It means that things are brought together and they're placed in balance. My mama still to this day, perhaps you, I do mine on a computer, so it kind of does itself and I hope for the best and whatever. But my mother still sits down every single month. She gets mad because they don't mail her a statement anymore. But she gets daddy to pull it on that computer and she balances her checkbook line by line by line. And I've seen her sit at that kitchen table for hours and hours and hours arguing with herself because she's three cents off. And I've seen the bank deposit three cents in her account too because she's right. Here's the thing. We're reconciled to God. We're brought in balance to God because of Jesus. So that's the third thing. Number one, I love Jesus because he makes the invisible visible. Number two, because he makes that which is uncertain, certain. And number three, he makes the unreconcilable, reconcilable. Without Jesus, we have no connection to God. We have no hope. We have no ability. We have, we would call it, some would call it at least, I don't know that we should call it this necessarily, but we have no chance. And life's not on chance, by the way, for God, but we have no opportunity without Jesus. And the scriptures, he'll teach us that he is the one who does that, teaches us it's by his blood that he accomplished that. It teaches us that he did that on the cross, so that's the who, the what, and the where. The why. It pleased God. It pleases God. So this morning, when I ask myself the question, as I ask you all ago, do I love Jesus? Yes, I do. Do I love Jesus? Yes. I want to love Jesus to the uttermost, just like he loved me. But why do I love him? I love him because of everything that he's done. And it's not just me going to heaven. It's not just me being saved. That's what we would call a biggie but it's because I can trust Him for everything. I see God because of Him. I'm allowed myself to, to be certain of what's coming to me. And I'm absolutely given opportunity to be reconciled or drawn back to Him. The invitation song has been chosen a moment ago. It was something, I don't remember what it was, but y'all remember the number. You probably got it open. You can't open it. The invitation's always open. God allows us through faith, uh, confession of faith, repentance, confession, and baptism that we can be reconciled to God. We can be brought in agreement with God. We can be balanced with God. Impossible without Christ. He also allows us, thankfully, an opportunity, like I need often, which is to come back to God through prayer and repentance. The invitation is open as it always is, but particularly now as we encourage you while together we stand and as we sing.